recording. Well, Dr. Spanger, uh, we're back for another podcast and uh, trying to understand what's going on in the church right now. Mm. Uh, our last podcast, we, we talked about uh, the church seems very divided. And yes. by the church, we're, we're really talking about evangelicalism. And I think we're really talking about white evangelicalism right. at this. And, but if we look at evangelicalism as a whole, it's also divided. Um, and the problem is, if I look at the statistics... The exit polls, it says, well, 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump mm. twice. Mm. It must be a monolith, <laughs> right? So what are the divisions? Right. Um, but we said, when you actually get down into the weeds and look under the hood, I actually find a lot of churches are pretty divided. Yeah. A lot of uh, white evangelical churches are divided. Right. Uh, or churches that are maybe diverse. Um, and the divisions seem to be... Uh, on the one extreme, you have the people who have fully embraced Trumpism. Mm. These are the extremes. Right. Uh, or you've had people who fully embrace, uncritically embrace, no pun intended, critical <laughs> race theory. Right. Uh, and sometimes you're in the same congregation. Uh, so we, we kind of introduced the topic today, last last time. And today what we want to focus on is let's, let's, let's deal with the Trump thing first, right? right? And... And then the next time we're going to come back and talk about critical race theory and how that's getting worked out. But so, uh, you know, when we take our history classes at undergrads and get the vocabulary, you know, right, and, right. and so now students are going to have when we teach American history and we if we get to the 21st century, it's <laughs> hard to sure get there. There's so much here. happening. Uh, one of the test questions might be, or vocabulary <laughs> words might be Trumpism, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which uh, that's a thing. That's a thing. Uh, now, yeah. Right, it's a thing now, Doctor Spanger. Trumpism. We right. we hear this, we see this, and it, it makes it feel like it's an ideology of some sort. Right. Uh, so, is it? Yeah. Um, I don't know that. I guess from my own perspective, I don't know that it's not. I think what's to what you said earlier in this is the evangelical church being monolithic. I think it's it's one way to politically categorize people. You're evangelical. It's a theological frame. We believe certain things about conversion. Um, it's, a, it's a broad category in which we can put you know, certain churches so we can distinguish it from that which is liberal or lost its you know, orthodox foundation. So if it, were, if it were monolithic, then I would say easier to say it's an ideology. But because, because the evangelical church has all of these components in it, some of them more heavily theological, more cultural, it seems like that the, and, and this, is, this is the historical, I think, context of the whole thing, that evangelicals themselves have found themselves fighting in sort of a broader war in their minds, culturally speaking, theologically speaking, intellectually speaking, academically speaking. And so they're looking for handholds against what they perceive to be a very, maybe this is the monolithic, monolithic liberal culture, progressive culture, that is you know, gaining power, evolving, and, and growing, and we've got to respond to it. So is Trumpism, I would say, is as much fear about that Think of Hillary Clinton. Really, I would say Hillary Clinton is more the the the, the, the progenitor. She's the progenitor of Trumpism. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, no, yeah, she never yeah. appreciated that. Neither did the liberals. But 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 the idea, if you go from from Bill Clinton through Obama into Hillary, this growing seething power from Obergefell and and the, the left transgender, all the stuff happening at such a pace and such a rate that ideology, yes, because you're trying to hold on to something that would be considered traditional, conventional, orthodox. And so, and so you need to do that against this fear. And, and if Hitler's that powerful, you better have something in response that's strong enough and willing to fight back. 
So, you know, I think there is some ideology at the root of it because you have some ideas that matter to you and you don't want to lose them. But I think what Trumpism, the traction it really has, is the awareness of the power of the, the liberals, specifically through media, and here I think Rush Limbaugh has had a great impact. Um, the power and what seems like the monolithic movement of the left side to galvanize a worldview and a narrative so quickly. I mean, we forget that homosexuality being, you know, whether or not we allow someone in the, in the military because they're gay to the point where, where being gay is, is a fundamental human right happens in five years, four years. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the, the White House under Obama lights up in a multicolor rainbow flag. Mm-hmm before many people even aware that homosexuality is something we tolerate as a, mm. as a culture. Mm. I think the rate of that change makes people, if not let go of their ideology to grab onto something that's going to fight for them, or maybe these two get blurred together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe this is where I can turn it back around, Mark. How, how, do we, how do we get to the point where evangelicals, in my mind, and you can disagree with me on that, are, are doing things like this Trumpism deal, or voting for Trump partly out of fear, how does that, how does that happen? Yeah. How, does, how does evangelicals, because I think you've brought this up before, we, we've got our, as, as our whole podcast, we, we want our identity anchored in the kingdom of heaven. Why, why do we get so much investment in the kingdom yeah. of man here? Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the evangelical plate at this point. Yeah. Yeah. We've got yeah. a lot invested in the kingdom of man. We don't want to... Yeah, yeah. Well, and too it, much? it goes back to, I think, even the definition of Trumpism. Um, I think uh, you had said something, and it was an offhand comment, we were just having a conversation, and you had said that uh, much of Trump's support are by the people who, who say, and I quote, want to drain the swamp. Yeah. And, and if you live in certain parts of this country, uh, along with Trump hand signs or flags, that's a new thing, <laughs> right. uh, there are signs that say drain the swamp. So there's something that Trumpism is... Uh, if we're going to try to define this for our students, it's a reaction mm. against a number of the things I think you laid out there, mm. a, per- a perception that the liberal elite, right. coasters, you know, West Coast, East Coast, right, right. Uh, are taking over the country uh, with their ideology, and they don't care about the little man. They don't care about little uh, middle America. We're right. just a basket of deplorables, right, right? right? You know who cling to our God, guns, and religion, right? And these, this is, and it's it's uh, it's it's somewhat it's the hillbilly elegy kind yeah. of thing, right? And and Trump is a is somebody who, uh, in many ways, he 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 embodies and says the things that people okay. are probably in middle America are saying over a pint in their local pub, right? And he's saying it on TV. Right. You know, he, he's calling it the China flu. He's calling right. it Kong flu, right? It's very racist, right. right? But there's a, you know, there's there's something to that. So I think part of the appeal to Trump for middle America has been he's, he's a populist. Yeah. He's not yeah. a globalist. He's a populist, right. or at least that's how he sells himself. And he, he was very much able to ingratiate himself to... Sort of the hillbilly elegy group, yeah. we'll call that. But then, because of his his sexual politics, yeah. he was able to ingratiate himself to conservative Christians. Right. Um, and so it's so that I think again we'll have to flesh out what exactly Trumpism is. But I think at this point, that's a pretty good. It's a, it's definitely a reactive populist movement. Yeah. yeah. Uh, similar to Brexit. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and there are these populist movements all over the globe right now, yeah, uh, yeah. especially in Western Europe. Right it is, it is, it is. It's, it's sort of globalism versus... Um, the, the other thing is that part of this is, and, and, and we, we haven't talked about this yet, but you asked how do we get here and how do we get to this divide? Uh, if you follow the news, um, the, uh, the gentleman uh, um, who was poisoned, the Russian dissident mm -hmm. who was poisoned, and um, he, is now, he went back to Russia, and his, he's using social media to get his pop people to rise up. Yeah. And so today they're interviewing somebody, and they said you know, that most of his audience are people between the ages of uh, 18 and 45. Mm. There's basically a divide in Russia right now between those who came of age during the Soviet Union mm -hmm. and those who did not. Right. We're now moving into a time where we have people who've come of age when the sexual revolution was sort mm. of just getting started. Mm. And to people now, you know, gen millennials, gen Zs, gen, gen Xers are kind of in the middle. Yeah where they kind of came of age in, a, in the birth, you know, as the sexual revolution was emerging, and they look at the world very differently. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's part of how we got to Trumpism. Yeah. I, think, I think if we talk about how did evangelicalism get to Trumpism, right. that's a different story. Yeah. That's a different story, and um, I'm going to throw this one back at you okay. because you're the guy who teaches the class on the 60s. <laughs> I personally don't believe we can fully understand the evangelical embrace of Trump until we understand the sexual revolution. Yeah, yeah. Um, and where this is really important is so many people want to want to frame this in white supremacy. Right. Okay. That you know that that. White, eighty-one percent of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump because he's a racist and they're racist. Right. So that's the simplistic language. Right. And I'm not going to say that white evangelicalism doesn't have a race problem. Sure. I'm not going there. Sure. Uh, we wrote dissertations about that. So <laughs> We've got more know, to say on that. There's a lot. There's a lot of history there. Okay. Uh, but I think that's too simplistic. Right. I think the same way James Carville in 1992 said about the election, "It's the economy, stupid." Right. I think since the birth of the sexual revolution, yeah. for many evangelical voters, it's about sex, stupid. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, that's what's driving this, right? It's the politics of sex, yeah. of sexuality. It's yeah. not just necessarily anymore just... Right. Uh, and where Nixon's election was about law and order, right. by 1980... It changes. Yeah, yeah. So can you help us a little bit understand what went on in the 60s that yeah. created this? Yeah, that's that's good because sex and sexual politics in that regard took on a took on a life of its own when it was the probably the tip of the spear against the what um, one historian called the, the consensus of the of the 50s, the World War II consensus. The World War II consensus had the general view, Judeo Christianity, which tied all sorts of various ends together, private property, yeah. tied together with Judeo Christianity, tied together with capitalism, tied together with monogamy. That this image that that this is what America was designed to be. This is the natural law. I think there's a lot tied back to yep. enlightenment. Yep. All of that created this general awareness. You didn't have to articulate it. You just knew this is what it was. That in communism and the, and the rise of that through all of the disasters of the post World War II era, yep. communist revolutions and, and everything breaking out, 
that the idea of communism, and this is what, to go back to your point, misconceptions, the fear of communism was not, I don't believe, if you look at what they dealt with in the 50s and 60s, the fear of communism is not a fear of high tax rates. It wasn't the fear of, I'm going to lose my retirement plan. And that, that the fear was, if you buy into atheism and all of the immorality that comes with it, then, then that goes with all of the social, cultural, political instability yeah. that destroys human societies and goodness. And it's not hard, to, as we've said in the past, and I've said in the past, it's not hard to make the argument, given the death rates, casualties, bodies piling up around communist yeah. revolutions, yeah. to believe that all this stuff gets very networked together. Yeah. So when you got teens saying things like, you know, the hippie movement breaks out, it's not hard to simply see that in this in this mesh network of ideas that if you pop this one corner piece out, the whole net starts collapsing around it. Mm-hmm. And and inversely, the youth that want out of their parents' rigors and it, it's a, it's an upper middle class, you know, the gen gap is not the poor, it's the middle class mm-hmm. Yale yuppies. They look at this and they say, what's the one pinion holding my father's control over me? It's the sexual component. Right, right, right. So, and, and I think you said a really funny thing the other day to me, which I really appreciated. It's, you know, liberals will say to conservatives, why, why you guys got a sexual, why are you guys obsessed with sex? Yeah, and your yeah. argument is, it's not us. <laughs> yeah, it's not, no, no. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it wasn't as if in 1968, evangelicals started having chastity parades, <laughs> right? They, it's not it's, until, it's not 30 years after the sexual revolution gets yeah, going. Yeah, But, and, and so, and so what do you see is the youth movements attack that one. And I, and I always tell students in class that, that the trilogy, the trinity of sex, drugs, and rock and roll was not an unintentional approach to break with their fathers and mothers' generation who right. saw Hitler and Yomamoto in World War II and were terrified of all this here, he yeah. and all that business. That was where it hit them the hardest and most directly. Yeah. That became then the linchpin of their cultural resistance mm-hmm. to their parents. Now, mm-hmm. now, here becomes the cultural cost to me for the Christians, evangelicals, who were living in a world that was being overrun by atheism, culture was not something you could trade off. Right. You couldn't say, I'll hold to my church stuff, you guys can have the culture. Yeah. In that era, all this stuff is wedded together. So what, what's being attacked in the sexual stuff is they pull apart the one very foundation corner to human responsibility and natural law that once that's removed for them, the whole rest of this tower comes crumbling down. Yeah. Real quick, yeah. I'll give you this, and I thought this was a really funny commercial that some group did about two years ago or three years ago after a Birchfeld happened. And it shows this mother and father and, do- and the mother and daughter and son all in the house. And dad comes home from work. And dad is like in tears. He's broken. He's, and honey's like, wife is like, honey, what's wrong with you? And he goes, I can't love you anymore. She goes, why can't you love me? He goes, gay marriage is legal now. I, I, gay marriage is legal. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't love you. The whole, the whole marriage is destroyed. Wow. Marriage is ruined now that now that gays are, are married. I, I my marriage doesn't mean anything to you. And it was a it was a farce, obviously put on this group. Yeah. But what it's attacking is this idea that culture is a very well held together mesh of ideas. Mm. One opinion comes out, and the whole thing collapses. And I want to say in regard to that, that's not entirely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because places where that has happened, Mao's China, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leninist Russia, you know, North Vietnam. All of these can become problematic. Please. Well, and I, I think too, Dan. What's fair, and I, and I don't think um, I think there are some people maybe in the in the LGBT world who are saying we're not really we're not trying to destroy the fabric of society. Yeah. Uh, rather, we want in. Right. Yeah, you yeah. know, the, 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 there's more of a language of like Dr. King. We we want in. Right. Um, so I think there is that. Uh, we just want what you have. Yeah. 
Um, on the other hand, I think in the more radical streams of this, and this goes back to the 60s as sure. well, there's people who say, no, the whole thing, the whole system has to be deconstructed right. and rebuilt on values that are not this, that's right? right? It, 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 it's more like the French Revolution yeah, that's right. than it is the, uh, than say the American Revolution, right. right? The American Revolution in many ways is saying to England, you're not even living up to the glorious revolution. You're not even living up to the Magna Carta, right? right? Like, we like what you have. We can do, we've done we, it better. We think we can do better. We can improve on this. Dr. King is kind of saying the same thing, right? right? We like this, right. we want in. Uh, and so I think that's part of this too. There's a, there's a, a fear, yeah. right? Um, and so there's the, the uh, so how do we get here? I think one of the things we got to realize is that the religious right, while race certainly plays a role in certain things, right. I mean, we get into the detail. Other people have already done this. There's great books on this, and uh, with with Bob Jones University in the 1980s, and, and and federal funding and all that. Absolutely, we we'd be lying to say it's not. But the language, the the rhetoric. I mean, when we were kids, and you heard Ronald Reagan, he was coming out against abortion. He was right. coming out against. Right. He was it, it, the politicians who knew how to speak about the sexual values of the religious yeah. right were the ones who got their allegiance. Right. Um, and so, and even today, right, when we look at the the, the first week of President Biden's right. campaign or presidency and his executive orders, a number of these are about sexuality, yeah. right? Transgenderism, uh, uh, reproductive health, like... Right. So to say it's about sex, stupid, is not really that wrong right. for both sides. For both sides, right? And I'm, um, and I'm gonna, I don't mean to cut you off. No, no. I'm gonna something you just said because I hope your listeners hear this, and this is a really helpful historical analysis that when you take an issue, a political issue, gender rights or something like that, a lot of young people just look at it and say, I don't like someone feeling bad about being gay, and so that's a real issue. I'm not saying it's not. But when you bring that issue into the narrative of Western history, specifically American history and European history, there is a flow of events and ideologies that say the best way to fix society is tear it down to its core, yeah. break its institutions, and rebuild. And things like the, the Black Lives Matter issue, um, which a friend of ours, John Churchill, has been very clear about, don't judge people who support BLM by going to the, uh, some sort of official website where they support transgender and say, see, that's what this is all about. Mm. For the official group, it is. Mm -hmm. It's about mm -hmm. deconstructing Western society and rebuilding something new. Yeah. Other people that struggle under race issues in America yes. who may back BLM don't care about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, but the problem is BLM, and here's where BLM's a classic example for me of all of this. BLM comes in and says, we want change, but they actually tie themselves to a narrative at least the organization has, to a narrative that since the French Revolution has wound its way some, through some of the most destructive revolutions, yeah. deconstructive revolutions in history. And mm -hmm. you can't then say, too bad, that doesn't have to do with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not yeah. part of Lenin, I'm not part of Mao, I'm not part of, uh, you know, Robespierre, I got nothing to do with that, I just care. No, you can't, you don't have that privilege. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you have to be careful that you're not joining a stream that's led mm -hmm. to these impacts and effects of other times. Yeah. And, and similarly, Christians have to be careful that we don't just react to that yep. and join other streams of history. I think you say something really important, Dan, is that what our culture lacks, are, and part of the reason I think the church is so divided right now, evangelical right. white churches are divided right now, is the inability to nuance. That's right. And the inability to, to, to see it's, it's not as simplistic. It's not, right. uh, you know, Trumpism 
uh, has a lot of uh, jingoism. It had a lot of uh, dog whistles that, you know, would have, but I think the, there were a lot of white evangelicals who, and I'm not saying this was right or wrong. It just is. Uh, a lot of white evangelicals saw voting for him as a mean, as their only option to prevent right. this development of the sexual revolution yeah. going further yeah. and, uh, and try to figure out how they could separate it out. Right. And <clears throat> yeah. And, and that's the other piece is how do we get here? Um, well, can I ask you a question? Yeah, to, yeah. To answer that. Because as you were talking, I'm thinking, here would be a fun comparison, because you already brought it up. Compare, compare the religious right of 1980 going vote for, for, for Reagan. Are there yeah. cultural differences that would help, and historic differences, help make a sense of why that election was different from 2016, 2016 2021? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, well, part of it, you know, Reagan was not a brash-speaking New Yorker. But did he have to be? At that time, no. At that time, I think that would have worked against him. Yeah, right. 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 I think because um, even Democrats vote for Reagan. Yes, yes. I, I think one Reagan was much better a communicator than Donald Trump. Oh, I don't think we're. No you know, I'm not. That's not throwing Trump under the bus. It's just Reagan was <laughs> one of the gifted Trump communicators. Trump. That's not a problem. Yeah. Um, you know. So whether but, you agree but to my point, yeah. does that? That's not necessary. No. Well, okay. Okay. Let me try something else. Would Reagan have gotten the votes in 2020, 2016? That Trump got. This is the interesting question. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. And, and, and there's a part of me that wants to say maybe no. Why is that? Because I think part of the appeal to Trump for a lot of people was his brashness. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. his, I'm going to make the liberals squirm. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and did it in such a way that was more like a social media tweet okay and so and part of the part of this too i think part of the we can't divorce this and and we should have this conversation with our colleague who studies technology yeah yeah has social media created the ability for a brash new yorker like trump to say the things and tweet the things he said because we've been desensitized yeah. by the vitriol and that's the bloodbaths right. right. that have gone on on social media, right? right. I mean, so that, that's another podcast. Right? Right. That's yeah. another okay. conversation. We'll bring but, in Dr. Kim for that. But, but, you know, we're trying to do this in 30, 40 minutes. There's a lot of pieces here. Mm-hmm. But I think Trumpism, if, we, if we're defining it in this way, there's a lot of these pieces here. Unfortunately, I think some of the jingoism, some of the populism, I do think that might resonate with some white evangelicals. Absolutely. Uh, I think there's some white evangelicals who... Um, oh, come on, went, held their nose. Held their nose no, no. and went in and voted. Exactly. I, I do think there was that. I think that was a big group of people. Um, I also think there was a lot of white evangelicals who didn't vote at all. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, white evangelicals frame the political problems in our country differently. Yeah. Than African American evangelicals, than sure. Latino evangelicals, than Asian. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. it really does get framed differently. Right. Uh, something as as uh, to show you how complex this gets in this last election, we we the politicians want to talk about or the the, the pollsters want to talk about the Latino vote, right. right? And we realize in this election, because socialism was on the ballot, right, right, that Latinos who come from former communist countries are more likely to vote. 
Republican. Okay. They're more likely to vote for Donald Trump, who wants to build a wall and keep their cousins out, <laughs> right? And vote for someone labeled. Then vote for someone a socialist because they're so afraid right. of going back to Venezuela and Cuba, right. just in the United States, that they'll vote for Trump. Okay. Okay. That's, fascinating. That's fascinating. But that, but that goes to it, though, Mark. That these these things don't just come in a vacuum. No. As an issue about a certain person or a certain group. Identity politics has its value because people feel the pain of identity. Yeah. But what it misses is that identity is never pulled out of history. It belongs to these long time frames. Exactly. And, and I think what, and if I were to go back and say, yeah, Trump doesn't win the primary in 1980. Reagan doesn't win the primary in, in 2016. I don't think so. I think, no. I think Reagan was too civil. Too civil, right. <laughs> and why was he too civil? Because I think, I think the idea for, for many, and right, I, I think you make a really good point. If you look at the evangelical vote, between those that stayed home and went and those that voted for whatever reason they voted, you don't got homogeneity here. You've got a yeah. very complex group. But for many of them, and I, and I have no proof of this, but I would say the vast majority or majority of white evangelicals specifically of over Trump see themselves in that narrative. Yes. They see the narrative flowing. They've got a sense of it. They feel like since Obama and since the Romney was the only candidate they had to work with before, that this thing has been slumping so badly culturally mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that if they don't do something to slow down the leak, yep. the Tantanic's going to sink twice as fast. Yep. Yep. And so they, I think they hold their nose and they vote for the one guy who's willing to tell the media to stuff it. Because, by the way, you I mean, I mean, go back just a couple years before that, and the Republicans, I think of Trent Lott and his leadership in the House, and his ability to apologize whenever the liberal media called them to task, yeah. it, just, it creates this fear that no one, I think you said it right, no one's speaking for us. Right. That, and so, and Trump basically can be, I, I will be your mouthpiece. I'll be mouthpiece. And, I think yeah, a lot and I'm going to say things you don't like. Right. <laughs> and I think I think then you get a double cross your fingers. They, they, cross their, yeah. they, they hold their nose and vote, but then they go out in public and go, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Which, and and I think, I think to, to your point, it's very important to understand that the, the people doing that are not necessarily just reacting to a single group or a single identity. And I think they see themselves in this longer frame. So Trumpism is maybe not thoughtfully plugging yourself into a certain historic frame and a, and a flow of history and somewhat out of fear and somewhat out of, I'm sick of being pushed around by the liberal media and told yep. I'm an idiot yep. and told I'm a moron. Yep. I, I'm going to jump into the White House and stand on Nancy Pelosi's desk and, yeah. and steal a podium. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, and I think too, the, the statistically, uh, a friend of mine sent me a story. I have not been able to ferret out this, you know, where this person got this statistic, but the person was kind of asking the question, is there a divide even amongst white evangelicals in, or is there the elite at white right, evangelicals right. versus, you know, the, Populism the populist <laughs> white, right. And so is yeah. there a difference between the Wheaton Calvin College, <laughs> right. Trinity International University, Gordon Seminary, Gordon Conwell Seminary, Fuller Seminary evangelical, and the evangelical who lives in middle America and lives in the Rust Belt and, right. and goes to his local church or her local church and... And so even within mm. that group, mm. you can see that divide, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure it's an 80-20 split, but <laughs> yeah, right. um, it's, 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 so you, you even see that. And I think that's important as well. It's, it's not a monolith. It is far more divided. And I'm also curious how many white evangelicals didn't vote at all, mm. um, that didn't go yeah, to the yeah. polls at all. We just don't, what, what, the, what the 81 percent gives us is a snapshot of who showed up to vote. Right. The other thing I think that this whole situation is showing us is this, and, and 
we're really seeing this in, in, in President Biden's inaugural speech. You know, President Biden used religion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're church historians. He used Augustine, yeah. right? How often do we get an Augustine quote? Well, not from the president that says two Corinthians. So. Yeah, right, exactly. I, and so he uses St. Augustine. He uses the Bible. He, he uses uh, Catholic tradition. Right. And, and, and I think what we see is here is that part of the, the, the cultural revolution uh, of the sexual revolution is really a secularism mm. versus, we'll say, Judeo-Christian values, mm. right, or whatever that is. Mm. And I think what we see is in secularism, it's okay to quote the Bible, mm-hmm. yeah. to quote St. Augustine, to quote Mother Teresa, as long as you're not quoting those to attack the sacred cows of secularism. Yeah. Yeah. If you quote those things to attack the sexual revolution in any way, right. we don't have any time for you. Right. So it's not even about, you know, so you can actually bring your religion into the public square in America yeah. as long as liberal Episcopalian or Vatican II Catholic. Right. Right. And probably they prefer not even Vatican II Catholic, right? Because right? that still has catechism, right? Oh my it's, goodness, yeah. it, but it's a fascinating thing to see. Yeah. It's very fascinating because he's now being uh, in places like the Atlantic and the New York Times. They're saying he's very devout Catholic. He wears his faith. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, of course, in 1960, people would have torn their garments at yeah, that, right? right. Or, so that shows a, a change. But it's interesting because while he's quoting those things, he's also passing legislation that is furthering the sexual revolution and and, and secularism, yeah. right? Versus Judeo-Christian yeah, exactly. issues. So it's it, it's it, it, I think that this is we just can't let that sit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is part of this bigger conversation. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the other piece we got to get at though is, um, if, if if evangelical Christians are going to the polls to vote for pro-life. Yeah vote to not vote so that their biological daughter doesn't have to go in the locker room with a uh, uh, a female who's transitioning to male you know to, right and uh, or male who's transitioning to female and, and which is part of it I, 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 we would be lying I think you when you talked about uh, uh, the rainbow flag in the White yeah. House absolutely people yeah. aren't saying it publicly but in private they're saying, Trump would protect us from that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, of course, our LGBT friends are saying, "See, we told you, right?" right? And, but it's it, it's not merely; it's too simplistic to just say it's a bigotry. Yeah, they both sides have a different teleology. Yeah, that's right. They have a different that's understanding right. of what ought to be. That's right. And I think that's so important. And and nobody can hear that in the social media. No. Uh, but no. they really do. They really have a different understanding of, and this goes back to our earlier podcast, of what the republic should that's be. Right. That's right. Exactly. And Mark, that, and I'd say, I'd agree with you, and the idea of the different telos actually includes an entire different history. Stud- yeah. Students asked, I was trying to explain this in my modern history class to explain what's happened in the United States, and I said, for one group, the United States was a set of ideals it's never realized yet until finally now. Yeah. It had ideals of equality, it just couldn't even imagine what it meant by that. In other words, if Jefferson were to wake up now, look around and go, oh, finally. This is what I was dreaming of. I just couldn't imagine my own stilted, limited, biased way. Yep. The other the other side looks and says, actually, the founding grabbed hold of some eternal principles as best it could and said, never leave these. Yep. And so everything needs to be tethered back to those original things. And yeah. you're right. If you start differently about that historical moment, your telos, your goal, your, your target is entirely different. Yeah. And so for one... 
group, they are holding the arrow back while the other one's trying to fire it yeah. as the other group is doing vice versa. And I think I, I listen to, I've heard a lot of African-American and Latino, uh, I'll call them evangelicals. They, you know, they, they, they theologically, they would align mm. with white evangelicals. And they're kind of thrown off by this. How did this 81% vote for this guy who, um, you know, does use jingoism, does use racial coded language? It feels like a betrayal. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and again, we're, we're trying to look at this historically. What a number of white evangelicals have done is in this, these two elections, they have favored sexual politics Right. over race politics. Right. So I think there's part of it. Yeah. The other thing is, I think there's a lot of white evangelicals who might live in very undiverse areas who don't fully understand the mm-hmm. race problem. Yeah. And that's not a defense. That's no, no, just no. reality. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more of what is. Yeah. Uh, when, they, you know, when they hear about diversity or they hear about right. uh, racial inequality or they see police brutality... They don't even have categories for this. They yeah. live in such an isolated place, um, which, you know, how that happens in the 21st century, don't know. Well, 13% of the population. I mean, I mean African right. Americans make up 13%, yeah. which, and, and I think because of the Great Migration and the way that African American population works in the North since the 20th century, yeah. is those were always, even that 13% is very condensed into urban centers. Yep. So if you, if you take 13%, pack them into, however many cities and, 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 you know, high populated areas, you've got the vast areas, swaths, where you don't have yes. nearly... Yes, a, Now, on TV, you might see it, but you're not going to see right. it. In, right, right. You know, so, and, and I think that there's a percentage of, of the white population that uh, could be defined as racist yeah, on no, some no, level, no, right? No, no, and no. so, they, so then, in other words, they are going to um, put a premium... On sexual, poly- they see that as that's more right. of a threat. That's right. That's right. I think that's exactly. Then right. they see so if it's fear-driven or anxiety-driven, because of their views on race, because of whether it's ignorance, whether it's yeah. uh, latent racism, overt racism, whatever you want to do, and we can we'll talk more about how you define racism right. next time because that's a debated issue right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, in our churches, yeah, and. But they see these other issues as more of a threat. Yeah. Uh, they see abortion as a threat. Okay. They see okay. LGBT rights as a threat. That's what they voted for. Yeah. They, they, that was their bigger fear. Yeah. Um, where I think a number of African-American evangelicals, their bigger fear was, this guy's blowing a dog whistle that scares us. Right. And, uh, and, and you know, we've got people getting beat up and shot right. in our neighborhoods. That's our big fear. Right. So it's interesting when and we talk about our negotiation. Yeah. yeah, right. The 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 problems that the people of the city of God see into the city mm. of man mm. might look different based yeah. on where they're standing. That's right. That's a yeah. yeah, and that makes us all the more difficult, doesn't it? It does. Um and, and I think what it should hopefully breed, and what I'm finding it is among my community that I'm talking with, not on social media, is it's breeding grace. And it's and it's breeding a chance to listen left, right, black, white, up, down, yeah. rather than assuming one of these positions all that strongly. Yeah. Um, and then saying you've, you've got to have it this way. One of the things that I I remember had a conversation with Ron Sider years ago, and we'll talk about the left next time, um, and the Christian left specifically. 
But um, he said to me, you know, sort of privately and quietly, I don't understand Christian conservatives. He wasn't being critical. He just, he's just saying, I just yeah. really don't understand that I struggle to get why you would hold to these, these values and be a Christian at the same time. Because what you just said is really wise. From the perspective of this is what my African-American brothers and sisters go through, these other issues seem rather small by comparison. So why are you focusing on immigration and abortion? Yeah. Even though they're important, they just don't measure up. Yeah. And I said, I think, I think from my experience talking with people that would be on the right, Ron, is that historically speaking for them, this thing, and you said it, the Republic, which is historically an anomaly, is a very delicate business. It's a, it's a house of cards built on glass, sitting on water. It, mm-hmm. It's very complex. And so any sh- shift or adjustment in it and its core principles or pillars, this thing doesn't stand. And you find back since the revolution, if we want yeah. to go back that far, the idea that what England started it was already losing control of Americans grabbed up because they wanted to stop Rome from falling. And they all compared it to Rome. Rome fell, all civilizations fall. How do we stop? And the founders are very clear about the fact that you've got to build this house of cards with real delicacy. Massive reform movements, riots and revolutions, this thing doesn't last. And so for a lot of of Christians who aren't on the wrong side or who look and say, okay, I know the race issue is bad and we'll deal with that, but if I don't have a republic, ain't helping it anyway. Yeah. Now, and and if we go if we go down this road where we've got socialism and we've got communism and we've got race and, and or excuse me gender issues and all of that, you're now starting to shake the very pillars of the republic. And I can't help my African American brothers if we're in shambles. And that and, right. And then on the other hand, I'll say this: I, I've had African American brothers and sisters or uh, students even. Um, and you know you can look on the website and see what we look like. We we look like pretty much middle America white guys. Yeah, yeah. And you know I could easily look like some guy from the Midwest. And, and so <laughs> I I've had. I can pull it off. I can pull it off. Yeah, I can pull it off. And and, and I've had my African American or Latino brothers and sisters say, "Why do you get my? Why do you get it? When I tell you what I'm experiencing, how do you get it? Like you shouldn't get it." And I said, "Because I grew up in Philly. Yeah. You know I've seen it. Yeah. It, it, it's it's." You're not telling me anything I haven't seen. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part, yeah. right? Now, maybe my narrative had to be changed because even being in the middle of it and seeing some of the problems that happened with race in the inner city, you can still, if you're part of a different subculture, repackage that, yeah. reshift yeah. it. But yeah. I said, all I had to have was the narrative altered because I've already experienced what you saw. Yeah. And I said, so you're not, so it's not as if you're telling me something brand new. Right. Um, so I do think there's something about that. What you prioritize yeah, as right. you see the problem in the city that's of man. Right. And we talked about this. We're supposed to be the city of God transforming the city of man. And we we prioritize different things. Yeah. And I think that uh, when you're white and middle class, you do have access to the political powers. Yeah. Um, still. Um, you know, the, the 70, was it 72 million people voted for Donald Trump? Yeah. Uh, you know, the fact that the Republican Party still feels the need to court white evangelicals yeah. proves this must be a powerful voting base. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we only made up, uh, if evangelicals only made up 3% of the population, uh, Donald Trump, George Bush, nobody would be attending their colleges for a presidential kickoff. Right, right. Um, so that's, I think it shows that there's still this power yeah, in, in the yeah. group. Um, yeah. But it's, and, yeah. And to your point, I think it's really important to say, if I'm going to talk to my other fellow Christian brother and sister where they're on this, I've got to understand 
both sides where they're coming from to yeah. understand what are they most afraid of because both sides have legitimate fears and i'm not saying that the middle class white person in iowa or pennsylvania has as much to fear as an african-american in a, in a, in a very yeah. difficult environment that's racially bent against them but that doesn't mean that there aren't fears there and it doesn't mean that they aren't actually substantial fears and i won't say whether one is more valuable depending on where you're standing but i think they're they're substantial fears yeah. and and the and the judeo-christian white evangelical has a fairly good history to plug this back into and say i've got a reason to be concerned about this and yeah. i think then the white church and we're going to talk about the left side next time we're jumping around a little bit here but i think that the that the white middle class evangelical who's voting for trump whether this would change his or vote i don't know has got to say all right my African-American brother and sister actually has something to fear. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I guess I haven't thought about what that is yet. And I, I yeah. need to figure out. It may not change my opinion on how I think the republic stands yeah. and how to do it, but I can't just ignore the fact that my fear is not their fear. Yep. And maybe the republic succeeding may have a long-term benefit that may have, a, if it even has that, a short-term cost for yep. my brother and sister. And so, you know, whether or not the, I think what we've been trying to get at here is the, the Trumpism or the, the right-leaning church as it's now developed um, is a complex thing. It is. It's something that it does take some, some I think, some history and nuance, as you mentioned, to sort of get our, our minds around it. And I would say, if anything, to come out of this, if we really belong to the city of God, is to find grace for your brothers and sisters in the church to disagree with. Yeah. And if you don't understand how someone could be a Christian and, and, and vote for Trump, if they're even willing to admit it in public, yeah. ask them, Tell me from what your perspective you see is going on here. Well, and you know, and to that point, and, and again, I'm not defending anyone's vote for or against. <laughs> not the that candidate. there's anything wrong with it. I yeah. Feel like I'm um, but part of the part of the issue that's created some of this is this the way the political systems are aligned in the United States. Yeah. Uh, how, what would it look like if there was a political party that was pro-racial justice and pro-life right right what right, if that would that look right, like right. right with all of a sudden what if you, you pressurize know, some of this yeah people? we don't have that right yeah. it's it's been created in this false binary uh which other countries don't have right. well right parliamentary and, systems with coalition governments don't have to deal with binary political exactly yeah. so some of this is a is a and it's not to it's not to excuse any of it but some of it is a product of the political system mm. we own right that we've we're with and that doesn't defend anything because a citizen of the city of God is not married to a binary right, like that, right? right? The, the city of man cannot imp- impose that on them, but yeah. that that is part of it. And I think the other piece of this too, when I try to understand, I try to understand this is, I think for our African American brothers and our Latino brothers and sisters who share the same theology in us, but they see the problems in the city of man right. differently. Right oftentimes they see them very personally yeah. because there's they have real skin in the game. Yeah, literally. They literally could be beat up. They right. literally could be That's right. uh, a product of redlining. Where for the white middle class evangelical, this is more of a cultural cosmic battle. Okay. Right. It's, right. It's, it's not as if the white evangelicals are voting for Trump because the government's going to come in and force them to have abortions, right? <laughs> that's not it. It's, it's, well, let's it's, hope not. Yeah, but it's... it's, yeah, it's that's it, a great point. Yeah. It, 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 right. it's, it's real. You know, it's on the ground. Like, I may leave my house and get beat up. Yeah. I may leave my house and have to deal with the DWB, which is driving while black. Right. I, I may have to deal with that. Right. That's real. Yeah. That's personal. I have skin in the game on that one where 
so it, sometimes it looks like you're worried about this lofty ideal. Yeah. We're and worried I about get that, it. Yeah. I'm worried about survival. Right, right. And that and that is a very helpful unpacking. Yeah. To to get at this at, at how these how these concerns and fears are framed differently. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, that's, a, so, that's really that's really helpful because I I think that they're they're both actual fears. Yeah. But the substance of them is going to be different, and how they how they how you have to face them, whether it's a boogeyman in your closet or the boogeyman down the street or the boogeyman, yeah. you know. Um, well, you know, and you, can you, I mean, maybe the way to get at this is imagine a, an African-American mother who uh, attends a, a local evangelical church is, is sitting with a, a white mother who attends the same evangelical church. And the African-American mother voted for Joe Biden. And the white mother voted for Donald Trump. And they're talking to each other <laughs> and saying, how did you do that? <laughs> how could you be a Christian Probably and do that? Is. Okay. I think the, the white mother, the black mother might say, this man scares me. Yeah. And I'm afraid, and she points to her, her children sitting in front of her, that the world I in, live in, yeah. these little boys could be beat up, roughed up, whatever. Shot, uh, Statistically... Yeah. They're more likely to go to prison than they are to college, okay? Yeah. And the white mother's saying, well, that's why, you know, the black mother said, that's why I voted for who I voted for. The white mother might say, but I'm afraid that my daughter is going to have to go to a public school. Yeah. And, and this is what the mother would say, and get into a locker room right. with a biological male who identifies as a woman. That's why I voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and I could see that conversation. Oh no, that well, yeah, and it, it even get weirder than that because you might have the African American mother actually say she voted for Trump, while the white mother said I voted for Biden. Yeah, yeah, and, but yeah. but I could also hear the black mother say, <laughs> "I hear your concern." Right, right. But my kid could get killed. Right. I, I mean, so it's it's right. It's a very different. It's a very different thing. It's it is. It is. But it, you're right. But it but it is living inside these. It's living inside these stories and these realities and how you have to frame them so that you understand what you're doing. And, yeah. and quite frankly, you know, everybody makes two decisions. One is what matters to me. And number two, how does it actually impact the world I live in? Yeah. And yeah. quite frankly, we all, and I think this goes to the negotiation piece, which that's, that parable is very helpful in, is knowing that I'm going to have to make decisions sometimes relevant to what I think is important in this narrative, but I'm going to be faithful yeah. to what I believe is, is God's call on me. And whether the world likes it or doesn't like it, or whether I'm playing into a false narrative or a right narrative, we're asking, how can I be faithful in that moment? And being faithful in the moment, and I'll say this on, on a recording, being faithful might, might have been a Christian saying, I'm sorry, I have to vote for Trump. Hmm. And it may be a Christian saying, sorry, I have to vote for Biden. Yeah. Yeah. And I would hope that while we disagree in the city of man and, and, and its realities, Ultimately, what they're trying to do is realize in this crazy, broken world how to live out life in the kingdom of God yeah. rightly. And, and, and uh, I think, too, part of this is we talked about some ignorance. We, because we still are divided racially, even in the church, the white mother in that, 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 that uh, scenario I gave you might not fully even understand yeah. because she lives in a completely different world. Yeah. Not understand the real reality yeah. that's facing yeah, this African American right. mother and her family. Right. Might not have really any idea what's facing. Not to mention if the white mother is still dealing with some latent racism. Yeah. 
right? And that's, but, but it, it's really complex. But what, what we're painting is with broad brushes. You voted for Trump because you're a racist. You know, you voted for Biden because you're for baby killing. You know, <laughs> you, know you, you did this because you're a conspiracy yeah. theory person. You so the fact that we're not even taught, the, 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 the citizens of the kingdom of God right. aren't even sitting having that conversation right. or can't even have that conversation yeah. is really problematic. problematic. And that might be more the bigger fear, oh, problem I, we have here than oh, I agree. Yeah. than the actual voting. Yeah, no, I I think you're exactly right, Mark. And I think what I'm hopeful about what we're doing in conversations having classes to understand the history, defangs it a little bit. Yeah, on both yeah. sides. You go, okay, I understand, I understand why, I understand what's going on there. I can appreciate that, or I can understand why you're on the left, you're on the right. Why you might go, you're stuck in this, as you say, polar environment. You chose one. I get it. I think historically you're allowed to defang that a little bit and say, okay, here's how it develops and here's the concerns you have. I can legitimize those without agreeing with you. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, when I legitimize my fellow believer's political choice, what I'm trying to say is I agree that you're trying to live in the kingdom of heaven the same way I am, yeah, yeah. even though I disagree with what you did there. Yeah. And I think the historical narrative says there's cases on both sides here that yeah. are relevant yeah. and that are important, or at least substantive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Spanger, it's been helpful for me yeah, as I'm trying too. to process this. Our next one, we're going to come back and, and really talk about why some of our churches are divided because people are more going the other way. There's right, more people right. who's saying, I side with that African-American mother and right. everything she stands for. Right. And and this is how we should vote. And this is how we should operate. Yeah. Um, because these are the debates that are having in our churches. That's right. So. Whether we're talking about them or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might only be talking about them about behind each other's backs and attacking each other on social media, but yeah. So, well, thank all right, you, excellent. Favorite. Thank you.